Well, a hippity happy Sam Hain to all you spooky boys and girls and everything else out there. Um, we are the Phantom Correspondents. And if you've been keeping up with us at all this month, you know that we are at the tail end of Horror Fest, which is our annual thing that we do to celebrate the spookiest of holidays uh, with some of the spookiest of the films uh, that we can watch and discuss and probably extrapolate way more than ever was intended from them. <laughs> um, that's what we do here. And by we, I, of course, mean myself, uh, Al Mattingly, also known as Red Lanyard. Um, and joining with me is my constant spooky boy compatriot, um, Josh, Josh Hardesty, also known as the Wise Sage. So, Josh, how are you doing on this? I'm doing, oh, I'm doing real well, man. I'm, I'm ready for this episode, this, uh, this very special memorial episode. We, indeed, indeed. I, I am too, because this is a special one. We, um, in years past, uh, to kind of drum up um, some interaction on um, our various um, platforms and things like that, uh, we've um, tried to devote one episode every year of Horror Fest to a fan vote. Um, and right there, every single year, right there with his opinions, right there with his um, his interaction and his his support, most importantly, his friendship. Uh, has been our very good friend and constant supporter, Ethan Lewis. So this year we've decided to just um, can that whole act and just create one episode for Horror Fest called the special edition Ethan Lewis tribute episode. Um, rest in peace, Ethan, wherever you are out there in the cosmos. <laughs> Uh, we're <laughs> we're happy to always have your support and your friendship. Yeah, but um, yeah, I just um, I hit our boy up this year. Just said, hey man, uh, we want to do a special episode of Horror Fest just for you. Hit me with the um, horror movies you want us to talk about, and he gave us a list of three films that were excellent. I won't list all three because we're probably gonna use a couple of them uh, for next year uh, because it was a really solid list. But uh, the one he wanted the most is the one we're doing tonight, which is a first for Horror Fest in a couple of different ways, I'm pretty sure. Just correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, we're doing the um, vampire horror, um, some have called it a horror romance film called called Let Me In, uh, 2010, directed by um, our new Batman boy, Matt Reeves. Um and uh, Josh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think this is the first one we have done that touches on uh, the more romantic themes in horror. And also, I think this is the first vampire joint we've done on the show. I don't think we've done a vampire joint. This is the first one, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, also, I don't, have we done a remake? Have we done a remake? That is I don't a good question. I don't think we have. Yeah, uh, for anybody who isn't in the know, this is a uh, this is a two year after the fact remake of uh, the original, I believe, Swedish film we, called. Oh yes, had the right one in. Mm-hmm. Um, and that film is terrific. Um, it's great. It has been several years since I've watched that one, so it's not super fresh in my mind. Uh, but this one at the end is very fresh in my mind. Um, and we are going to talk about some of the themes in it, um, you know, some of the more unique things it does in a oft-treaded kind of genre uh, for horror. 
Um, and we'll see what kind of things we can get out of this one. I think our boy Nathan has picked out an interesting one um, for this year for sure. Um, so, Josh, we'll get right into it, man. Um, now, I want to hear from you. Uh, because this is a movie about vampires. Um, oh, um, and my apologies, everybody out there. I'm feeling a little bit under the weather. So if I sound a bit more nasally and irritating than I usually do, uh, that's why. Um, but uh, uh, this movie is solidly about vampires and the, and the vampire things they do. Um, now, vampires... Um, Anybody who is into like old school horror history and kind of the cultural tradition of it, vampires have been around for a while. Um, there are references and imagery uh, referring to vampires or vampire-like creatures, like as far back as like as like before the Old Testament times. There's been references. Um, to vampire-esque kind of things in the night. Um, so this is something that has been around for a long time. It's been around um, in film and TV for a while, for sure, in varying um, capacities and intentions. Um, so Josh, I want to kind of break open tonight's episode with just asking you um, for a subject that has been um, a part of horror since since human beings were first afraid, um, essentially. Um, what are some of the challenges with trying to do a vampire story, and what kind of new things uh, do you believe um, this story kind of attempts to do with um, vampires as a, as a storytelling subject? Yeah, so the challenge of, of vampires... Um... Well, I mean, the, <laughs> the challenge of vampires right now, I think, is, in, this, in this day and age right now, is uh, trying to figure out what exactly you want your vampire story to be. Because of all of the horrific, monstrous things that we see in horror, um, vampires tend to be the most anti-hero versions of them. Because there's this weird kind of, like, subset of of people, um, maybe the people aren't weird, but like, it's just a weird thought to me, uh, that view vampires in this very, um, you know, romantic and, uh, kind of, you know, cool way. Um, so, and I mean, so like just in my, this, you know, just in my lifetime, you know, everybody thinks I'm going to rag on twilight here, but like no one went into watching lost boys, hoping they could be Corey Feldman's character. You know what I mean? So like, there, this is not a new thing. Uh, even if you look at, like, you know, Bram Stoker's Dracula, you know, Dracula's very much the driving force of that book. Uh, he's not not just not just because he's the namesake, but because Van Helsing's a nerd and no one wants to be Van Helsing. Um, and so, like, there is a there's a sense with with vampire movies uh, and with dealing with vampires where if you're going to tell a story around vampires you need to figure out pretty quickly if you want it to be just a straight bad guy or if you want the vampires to be something more uh having a heart um you know maybe a, a tortured soul kind of thing you know which is kind of what a lot of times what they're going with with uh with the dracula figure uh even in castlevania uh you know um which was a netflix show uh recently which i would suggest everyone needs to watch 
Mm. I would actually argue that the that the story of Castlevania is very much on Dracula's side. Um, and that, yeah, the world probably is horrible and probably deserves to be destroyed and dominated by this vampiric figure. So, you know, there, there's a lot to do with, with, these, uh, with these characters. And I think the, one of the big challenges is trying to just have a, a central uh, idea of what they are um, and, and how you're viewing them, uh, which I think both Let Me In and Let the Right One In does very well. Um, so what, of course, Let the Right One In and Let Me In do um, is they frame the vampire around something that uh, is very seemingly innocent and um, seemingly um, innocuous in this kind of like, you know, boy meets girl kind of situation. You know, two little 12-year-olds, you know, kind of having their first crush kind of thing, except the girl's a vampire. Um, that's an interesting take. And it adds this whole idea of, um, it, had, it adds levels of, uh, not just darkness to the plot, uh, which I, I'm assuming we'll talk talk about later, kind of the implications of what this movie is actually doing. But it does kind of take a, a very simple story and add a little wrench into it, um, because this is typically not something that we've seen. Um, I think an interview with the vampire, of course, has Kirsten Dunst's character, who's a vampire, a uh, little girl vampire who can never grow up. Um, but it's played more very... I don't know, ridiculously, an interview with the vampire. Not that I dislike interview with vampire. Don't come at me, Anne Rice fans. But, um, but the just the way it's played there, it's more of a, a dramatic element uh, that's kind of thrown in there. Whereas in this movie, it's very much the driving point of the story is this, you know, vampire who is a little girl, um, and yet, you know, uh, is very clear in telling you she's not a girl. Uh, that there is a, a some type of a curse upon her. Um, it's a tragic story in a lot of ways, and so you know, you right off the bat, getting back to that first question, like how do you frame a vampire? You're just seeing all these elements that you've got to hit when you're doing a vampiric story, um, because you know there's there is romance, there is you know uh, evil, uh, there's horror, uh, there's domination. And then there's sexual tension, you know, um, you know, vampires traditionally, you know, just the way that they work, you know, is typically biting someone's neck, which is a very intimate concept. So, you know, just all that stuff to deal with with vampires. Uh, there's a lot to to take into account there. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, you know, this movie, I think, kind of uh, weaves through that uh, pretty gracefully um, by just having a more narrow focus on what uh, this vampire is, which is basically just someone trying to survive. Uh, that's how I take it, at least, how you might disagree with me. But it just seems like a character that's just attempting to survive. Uh, definitely not one that lives in a big castle somewhere, but one that has to move from place to place because, you know, if the body count gets too high, people start getting suspicious. Um, so this one, this this movie is interesting in that I think it it does it does do a lot to kind of flip the vampire narrative on its head a bit, because um, no one's storming the castle in this one. Uh, it's very much uh, the story of someone who is on the run, and the story of someone who's always alone, uh, or, or or maybe not always alone. Uh, and once again, we'll we'll discuss that later, I guess. But you know, the idea of just uh, someone who who definitely can't is a nomad, uh, and that's what being a vampire means for them. Uh, so yeah, I mean th this was this is a this was a different take on it, uh, I think. And I'm, well, the right one is very similar as well. They're both very different takes on 
on what it means to be a vampire because I don't really you don't really feel like an over <laughs> you know most vampires are overwhelmingly powerful you don't really get that here um, so so yeah I don't know if it answered your question or not I kind of went a bunch of different places Al I'm sorry no it's okay no no that's great um, yeah it's it's interesting as you say like um, the vampires um, especially in or modern um, stories with them. Uh, vampires have always uh, very much towed a line uh, between being like scary and being sexy, uh, which is always like an interesting thing to look at um, to the point where like you have stories where like they're terrifying and they're violent and they're bloodthirsty and they're more like in animals than like actual intelligent beings. Um, and then you have the more, you know, um, probably the more recent um, take that like you see as old as like Anne Rice books, as well as like um, you see the Vampire Diaries and Twilight and things like that, where their cursed kind of um, darker nature is more um, romanticized and glamorized um, and in some ways I think very fetishized to where um, you um, to where it creates a context where when you're telling a vampire story you have to decide on what line on what side of the line you want to end up on right and so it's it's very much a game of trying to tell a vampire story um, and having the very weird conversation of just being like, well, do I want my vampires to be scary? Do I want them to be s sexy? Do, yeah. I, do I want them to be sexy because they're scary? Or do I want them to be scary <laughs> because they're sexy? And what does that last one mean? That's spooky. Uh, <laughs> and so you're in that kind of back and forth whenever you're trying to tell a new vampire story, uh, just because of the way uh, the pendulum just kind of swings on this particular source of fear um, now something i think is really interesting that um this film does is that reese has kind of taken um a side route around that um that tension and that discussion um by having it be um a much more innocent and pure version of that so um it isn't so much a discussion of just like well you know how hexy is your vampire because it's much more you know these themes of romance and intimacy and what that means for um someone who who used to be human and is now something else um what does that mean in terms of intimacy what does that mean in terms of forming relationships with other people and he's able to kind of sidestep all of that other um sound and and noise instead and just being like well let's kind of strip that down to its bare components by having it be you know uh just kind of a childhood early kind of um infatuation thing instead and see where it can go from there and i think that's really smart i think um i remember the first time i watched this um, this is my second time seeing this one and um, the first time I watched it I was very impressed that 
uh, they were just able to kind of sidestep that whole discussion and just be like, well, we'll let's explore the themes that are kind of at the heart of all that without all of like the weird kind of sexualization of it by having it just kind of be like the bare bones. What if a kid um, is, is just kind of has a crush on and is infatuated with an other kid and how that very common interaction changes when one of them is a vampire. Uh, and I was really impressed with the s simplicity and yet like the rarely innovative um, approach to that. Uh, now all that to say, um, let's talk about a couple of these characters uh, because the character work in this is really interesting. And I think what you take away from Let Me In rests um, wholeheartedly on on what you take away from the main characters of this film. Um, so let's talk about Owen first, um, the boy in this one. Um, Owen, Owen has a pretty rough life. And we see that Owen, like, has some interesting ways to cope with that rough life. Um, some of them probably not as healthy as some would hope they would be. But um, uh, that's kind of where he's at. Um, and so um, the film kind of takes a little bit of time to kind of set up who Owen is before he really has his first um, interaction with Abby. Um, so, um, Josh, if you don't mind... What did you think about Owen um, as a character? Um, the kind of things that were going on in his life, the kind of um, uh, the kind of character you think they were trying to uh, portray him as, um, and basically his uh, development and role in the story. What kind of um, thoughts did you have off of the main character in this one? He's a uh, to me. To me, well, yeah, you're, he's, he's always a very sad. He's a very sad character. Um, he's got a he's got a lot of issues. He's dealing with a lot of things right now. Um, <laughs> there's a there's a part of me that wonders, and I think this is this is more prevalent in uh, this this version of the movie than in the than in Let the Right One In. There's part of me that wonders if one of the things that Matt Reeves, um, who also uh, rewrote the screenplay for this as well, um, if one of the things he's doing is kind of focusing on the type of people that are easily swayed uh, into, into performing evil. Um, because you have, you have a very interesting scene where... You know, he wants to go and talk to his mother, and his mother's asleep. You know, I, I kind of got the kind of got the idea that she's like a she's a kind of like a daytime drunk, but you don't really they don't really say that, but that's kind of the idea I've got. Um, and then he goes to call his dad and asks if evil is a real thing, and like you have a very you know where he's struggling with you know concepts of of, of good and evil, and there's an there's a very you know like telling moment. Where the lead investigator uh, is, you know, literally getting eaten, and he closes the door, you know, as the investigator is reaching out. Um, and so I do wonder, with you know, like the type of the type of person we're seeing, which is someone that is definitely someone who slips through the cracks. Okay, 
someone who uh, uh, there isn't just a, there just isn't people that really seem to care about him um, that really seem to to want to uh, help him or even understand him. Um, the best example of this, of course, is the you know when the principal's like you know do you want to get suspended? Oh, and after he hit uh, the one kid with the fishing pole, mm-hmm. and like you know it's it's I, I don't understand. Although I, I feel like that's very accurate, but like there's there's something about a a school, uh, somewhat you know at this point school principal, someone with a kid who's in elementary school or around elementary school age, uh, who you've you know you've seen come up, you've got their file, you know uh, if you know this kid has never had a violent outburst before, why you, to me the investigation would hinder more on, you know why, why did you do this? What is causing you to do this? What is in your life that's making you do these things? Um, that's just not a case here. It's more of just a straight, you know, we need to deal with this, have some type of disciplinary thing, move on with it. And that kind of person that deals with that, I wonder, I do wonder if, if, if Reese is kind of asking, you know, the question of like, you know, what are the people that become complicit in evil? You know, what are the people that become, you know, how, where, where does that come from? What, what role do, does these early childhood experiences uh have in creating someone who becomes very apathetic towards evil um because you know there in in my mind there is there is no particularly in 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 this one like i said it's a little more a little more nuanced and let the right one in but in let me in in my mind there is no uh there is no nuance to abby being an evil character uh, not just because she's a vampire, but because of the levels of manipulation and things that that she pulls off in this movie, uh, that I, that in, that in my opinion are very real. And so I do wonder if if Reeves is kind of is is kind of playing with this idea of like, well, this is the type of person that could be very easily manipulated. Um, because the the interesting thing about Owen is Owen, you know, this is this is the most this is most key when Owen finds that picture, you know, that picture that was apparently taken like a photograph booth. Of Abby and um, uh, the who was the who was Stanley Tucci's character <laughs> the guy the, uh, the the guy that's taken I, I can't remember he, he's 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 Carl in in the old one but that's not his name in this one but anyway the guy that's taking care of Abby uh, when he's looking at that picture he's looking in a mirror man it's it's a little nerdy skinny kid you know uh, that you know that he's looking at. You know, and that's the only moment in this movie where he has some some type of reticence, you know, in what he's what he's a part of. Um, and so I, I do think there's a there is a part of Reeves's story here where he is asking with this character, you know, what what are the instances in a person's life early on that make them apathetic towards evil, that make them look the other way towards evil uh, and then sometimes make them choose evil. And so I think Owen in, in this movie is is very interesting to look at. If if you see it, at, if you if if you agree with me, uh, you know, and if you can watch the movie again with with that lens on, you know, and see you know the the moments where you know he's his it's almost like you can kind of see his soul kind of eroding uh, every every little bit. Uh, if you can find kind of catch those moments. Yeah, it, it becomes it, it it becomes a different kind of take on what this main character is. Yeah, yeah, that's an excellent um, examination of him and just kind of his his role and function of the story. It's, I think with this, 
with this script um, that Reeves did, it's really interesting. And like, um, again, it's been like a very long time since um, I saw at the right one. And so um, I don't really have the context to draw any comparisons there. But um, speaking just off of this script, I find it really interesting the things that Reeves chose to be unexplained or unaddressed or have like a very small amount of explanation. And um, I'll get into this uh, some more too uh, up here in a bit where we talk about Abby. But um, it's so interesting to me with Owen that you know like a little bit about his situation, right? You know that like um, his mom has issues. Um, you get the vibes from um, a couple of the scenes that like she's very religious and spiritual. But um, as you say, she also has pretty clear evidence that she has like some kind of issue uh, with um, the wine, uh, the wine glasses everywhere. <laughs> that seems right. to indicate um, behavioral issues there. You get um, the context that his parents are going through a divorce and that they're separated right now. Um, I think it's really interesting that we don't get any information, really, on what the cause of the divorce was. We don't really get a whole lot of information at all about Owen's dad. Um, there's a line when Owen's mom is on the phone where um, um, it's like apparently a girl on the other end who answers um, at first. Um, but other than that, we don't really get any information on what Owen's dad's whole issue or deal is um, other than just, you know, he's a guy who's getting a divorce with his wife. Um, and that's really about it. Um, and so it's interesting that we get like, I think an intentionally shallow depiction of what, or rather of where Owen is coming from. And then we see him go to school and be um, a victim of bullying there. Um, as you say, exactly. I mean, that's like very true to this world, just kind of like how the school handled it, where it was just kind of like, oh, one instance of of violent behavior, like you're obviously the problem. We have to like, <laughs> we have to address this right now and get it through your head that this is unacceptable. Um, but like, gosh, it, it is a very good thing that I was homeschooled because like I, when I was a kid, um, I'm at various places I went and things I did. Um, I got bullied as well. And, and my dad was very straight with me because he was in the Abbey school of how to handle that, where he, he was just like, well, if you get hit, just hit them harder and then they'll stop. And um, that worked really well for me. It didn't work as well for Owen, but that worked really well for me because I just hit them back and they would stop. But, um, and so you get this, um, as you were saying, you get this, this character, this victim who's, been either victimized by people in his life or kind of neglected by people in his life. And they feel, as you said, very alone, very isolated. 
in a lot of ways. And then along comes this other character who shows um, kindness to him, who takes an interest in what he's into, um, um, who kind of reaches out to him. And uh, I think you do have a really good um, kind of examination of that, of, you know, who are the people who are easy to victimize and who are able, who are easy to manipulate. Um, and it's these people who have seen various avenues of abuse and various avenues of neglect and who have uh, been kind of shaped uh, by that and who are really, um, they have a need for that kind of interaction and that intimacy and for somebody to kind of trust and cling to. And thus they're very vulnerable um, to those, under those types of people. Um, yeah, I went back and forth a little bit on Owen. Like I was very much like, um, yeah, man, that's, um, that's very rough. You know, divorce is always rough on kids. Um, it, it does really suck to be the bullied um, by other kids and things like that. And so like I went back and forth on him, but, and I think that is like very much their intent with Owen's character as well, is that you are supposed to like um, have simultaneous experiences of empathy for what he's going through while still being able to say, um, well, hey, Owen, you know, this isn't who you are. This isn't like um, the things you're supposed to do, even though I can see where you're coming from. I mean, you know, you're going down a very dark road. I think that was very intentional. And so in that way, I thought that was handled really well. Um, now, we, um, on the other side of Owen is Abby, who, um, in my humble opinion, um, is really on the main character of this story. Um, Abby, played by um, Chloe Grace Moretz, who's an excellent act actress. I love her and and everything that she does, pretty much. Um, and she's very good in this as well. Uh, I don't know off the top of my head, I don't know how old she is, so I don't know how old she was when they filmed this. But um, very convincing as um, <laughs> 12-year-old, at least. Um, so what did you think about Abby and kind of the function that she served in this story? You've talked about it a little bit, but... Feel free to go through it um, and kind of tell me how you feel about um, this character. So I've you, so me and you have had some discussions on the movie Midsummer, and uh, we kind of had uh, we had countering uh, opinions of what was being stated there, uh, and I actually kind of agree with you more now. But but anyway, without getting too much into it. My opinion of Abby is very similar to what your opinion of the cult of Midsummer is. Um, because you have someone who is, who, for lack of a better term, leeches onto people. Um, which, which is what makes this a very interesting vampire movie, right? Because normally a vampire movie is, if vampires are very much about domination of other people. Uh, you know, they, they bite people if they don't kill them. Those people become their servants. Right. Abby's very much about the domination of another person as well, 
but it's not through a vampiric method. It's through a charismatic method, almost. Uh, there's almost a sense of like, because vampires sometimes traditionally have the ability to uh, like have a sense of mind control uh, at some point, and you almost kind of wonder if there's a bit of that going on as well. Sure. Uh, but uh, but for the most part, it definitely seems closer to a, you know, you put you put someone in the situation of trying of of wanting to help a person they care about, and and then you manipulate that into its nth degree. Um, and I think Reeves is very interesting with how he does Abby because, and th- th- once again, I, I, I'm gonna keep comparing them because I think they're very interesting. They're, they're very interesting contrasts. Because uh, Let the Right One In doesn't do this, it, or it doesn't do this as much. Because Let the Right One In is very much, um, in a sense, the, the, the vampire in that one is almost as sad as Owen um, because they're both very much trapped in their experiences. Um, Reeves is a little different. You know, like when, when Abby goes and uh, tries to... Uh, to uh, when, when Abby gets angry because... Uh, she doesn't have uh, she doesn't have someone uh, uh, you know they've been draining people of blood or whatever and that messed up somehow and when she goes out and hunts her on her own the way she hunts is by doing what is by appearing as a scared little girl you know to a man um, which is turning this idea of this you know this this knight in shining armor thing on its own head um, you know and, and let the right one in that same scene, it's literally just, she ambushes a guy, <laughs> you know, it's like, there's, there's a very big difference in how that's framed in my opinion and what Reeves is wanting to say about Abby. And I don't, and I don't think it's like a, I want to, I want to stop this real quick because I don't think it's a, it's necessarily of a, you know, women in their wiles kind of thing. I think it's closer to a concept once again, of how people are manipulated into doing evil. Um, and how people are manipulated into, in you know, into uh, uh, b- becoming part of an evil scheme, because you know Abby very much uses the same concepts over and over again, where it's very much like you know she's powerless, you know she needs help. Oh, I've got to run away, you know this kind of thing. When she's the most powerful character in the whole film, you know, it's like it's a, you know it's not even close. You know, I mean she's you know she. She has the she has the ability abilities beyond what anyone else in this film have, um, and yet she's constantly you know having people you know help her, uh, you know um, you know be companions with her, um, and and coming to understand her, you know her um, her way of life, even though her way of life is objectively evil. Um, so like it, it it's it's a very you know Chloe Grace much plays it very well I think uh, I do think there's a little bit if if I'm, if I'm going to critique um just a little bit of, and it's not really her it's more how the film is shot you know but like there's a there's an old saying of show don't tell well with let the right one in it's like they don't show or tell it's more about how you feel about a given situation. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff with Let Me In where you know like you can definitely tell they've Hollywoodized this movie quite a bit. Um, you know the the way she she moves, you know uh, the very computer generated way she moves and attacks people. Um, you know the the scene with with the with the cop 
you know, and like just the all the the, the blood and gore there. It's very, you know, it, it, it you can definitely tell us the Hollywood um, uh, horror movie to an extent uh, where you can't really tell off the other one. Um, but and so like I think Chloe Grace from Mass does play that play up a lot of the more horrific aspects of it. Um, and so I, I do think you know it, it's a little more in your face um, because by the by the middle of this movie. By the middle of this movie, I'm going, oh, and you need to tell your mom to just, like, move away. You know, like, you know, that's a thing that happens. Uh, and it's, with, with Let the Right One In, yeah, at the end of the movies, when I finally realized, okay, I see what's happening now. Um, now, I don't know. Now, once again, I don't know if that's, if that's more on, once again, like, Reeves being like, I have a very specific goal in what I'm trying to tell in this movie and I don't want you leaving this theater or leaving this viewing of this movie without knowing what I'm hap- what's happening here or if it's just kind of a you know a, a you know just an oversight or whatever um, but with but with the character of Abby it's just very hard for me to see anybody going into this movie and not being like Gosh, she's just she's really kind of the worst, you know. And I mean, and like, and you do have like scenes of, you know, you do have scenes of like, you know, like her caring about people and things like that. And and you do, and I do wonder, you you do have a very like early, early scene, you know, where like she's hungry and she's so hungry she's in pain, um, and she can't really like, almost like it's very much we're, we're dealing once again with that that vampiric concept of like. You cannot control your cravings, kind of thing. Um, but like, you know, I do wonder if if there was a sense uh, in, in when they were doing this movie, um, if they were attempting to create Abby as a straight villain, or if they were trying to do some anti-hero stuff of her. But of course, at the end, of course, I mean, she's she's the hero of the movie at the end. I mean, right? You know, I mean, she's the she's the savior at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way Chloe Grace Moretz plays it. Uh, she plays it way more evil than um, than I than I would have expected. But I, I should say I, I didn't say this before. This is the first time I'd seen this movie. I'd, I'd seen I've seen Let the Right One In several times. If I was going to make a list of fifty movies, Josh says you need to watch before you die. That'd be on there. But I, this is the first time I've seen Let Me In, and uh, and so like I was I was kind of shocked to see how how evil uh, Chloe Grace Moretz plays it. I don't think it's a bad choice. I, it was just a. It was just. It was different. It was different to what I was expecting for the story. If that makes sense. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. If that does make sense. Um, yeah, she rarely runs the gambit of being <laughs> of the kind of role that she plays in this um, this story. Um, it's interesting. I think. I think the best storytelling choice that Reeves made with this script is that um, he does not tell us a whole lot about Abby. Um, she's very much um, just kind of a, a blank slate of a character as far as what we know about who she is and where she comes from and what she's all about. And towards the end of the movie, we get small glimpses of it. You know, um, As you said, Owen finds the, the roll of pictures with her and um, her old caretaker. Uh, when he was a kid, and so you get the idea that, like, um, you know, this is kind of her thing. She's kind of, uh, she kind of travels around um, when one 
caretaker um, gets owed or gets in trouble or gets killed. Um, she kind of finds somebody else to cling to um, to take on that role instead. Um, and so you get that out of it. But I think it's a really good choice on Reeves' part when he was writing the script to not give us a whole lot of lore about Abby. So, like, by the end of the film, I mean, we don't know how long she's been a vampire. We know around about at least how long it's been. But we don't know how long she's been a vampire. We don't know how she became a vampire. We don't know how many times she's done this. Um, uh, we really don't know, like, as far as her personality and her biochemistry, we don't know, like, how she really ages as a vampire in the body of a 12-year-old. We don't know, like, a whole lot about what is going on with Abby. And I think that's a really good choice. Because if we knew too much, I think this story really starts to fall apart in a lot of ways. Um, I think the way Reeves has chosen to write this character and depict this character, um, I do agree with you. I think the final takeaway is supposed to be that, you know, um, Abby's whole existence rests on her causing harm and killing others. Um, and she manipulates other people into allowing her and facilitating her to do that. And that's the final takeaway we're supposed to have about her character. If we were to get this whole blown out backstory of like she was just a little 12 year old girl and she got ambushed by this um, big scary vampire man and and this is how she was and she was kept as like a, a prisoner of this vampire man for years and years and years until she finally broke away in this game. I think that would have added like too much color to what it, her character is supposed to be. Um, so I think it, it was a really good choice to not tell us a whole lot about what's going on with Abby. Um, as far as like her background, her whole deal is anything like that. Um, one of the things I do really enjoy about Abby's character is that she shows us um, um, some really interesting and innovative takes on classical vampire lore, uh, which is really cool. Um, she has the whole, like, you know, um, um, I can't come into a place unless I'm invited in, um, or I can't come into a home, um, I think she specifies at one point, um, unless right. she's invited in. And she and she does so at one point because Owen kind of refuses to invite her, and we see um, essentially her head start to explode <laughs> in like a very literal sense uh, because she, uh, she wasn't given an, an invitation, which I thought was a really cool way to kind of um, show the consequences of that rule um, and how that plays out. Um, we see her like go like full vampire mode, um, as you said, and see her do a bunch of like wild kind of um, EGI propped up stuff with her body, um, which was really interesting. We get to see a vampire turn as well after 
he attacks on the one lady in the apartment complex and we see her turn um, in the hospital, which I thought was really cool. Um, and so we get to see a good amount of vampire stuff in this film that um, in a lot of ways, you know, has vampires in it, but, you know, it's not a traditional vampire story that's being told. And so I thought um, it was very cool to see the story be told um, in kind of an innovative and non-traditional way while still involving a lot of um, uh, kind of paying homage to a lot of the more classical storytelling we've um, come to know um, about, um, about vampires. Um, I appreciated those um, s- scenes having been included um, in the story. But, um, <clears throat> but yeah, this story very much becomes um a interesting story depending on what you take away from these characters um because if you come at it from this idea that that you know abby is just like a little vampire girl just kind of trying to get by however she can um then like uh this story becomes very different from what we've talked about um because it's interesting to see that kind of um, that hideous side of her character, for sure, and how she kind of has to um, manipulate others in order to survive in a long-lasting way. Um, so um, it's really interesting. Now, the last character I do want to ask you about, because from what I recall about at the right one in, this is the main difference. I can recall between the two is the presence of the policeman in this film. Um, mm-hmm. Now, um, I think there was a cop in the original, but I don't think he had as much screen time as this one has. Am I right about that, Josh? That's that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, how did you feel about that difference between the two? Was there anything like positive you think? Um, he brought to it, or was, um, or do you think um, it played out way better without um, the um, amount of screen time he had in this one? Uh, how did you feel about this kind of like, if there is a third primary character in this, it's probably the policeman. Right. Um, I, it, it really just kind of depends on what kind of movie you think this should be. Uh, what, what he functions as very well um, is, is he functions pretty well as a as an antagonistic character because i mean you know this this movie kind of does the psycho thing where you know you're kind of rooting for uh you're kind of rooting for abby and owen and so he he functions very well as a as an antagonist he also functions very well as in the kind of the role of you know someone who's watching these things happen um and you know and is trying to figure them out in the same way you are so he kind of functions that role as well. Um, I'm not totally sure that role was necessary, but I will say it it, it works with this movie, um, particularly because you know there's just this there's this constant um, what what he shows is is the reason that Abby always has to be on the run, right? Is that you know when this stuff happens too much, people start to become suspicious of it, um, and so then they start hunting things down. And, you know, you never, and then that's when the pitchforks, you know, torches thing happens and you don't want to have that happen again. Uh, 
because I, I I view you know I'm I'm just I'm making the assumption Abby's very old, and you know and and if dealing with vampire lore has dealt with you know seeing the satanic panic stuff as well. Another thing is by the way, real quick, one interesting thing this movie does uh, is set it in 1983. So the first thing he asks is, "Are you a Satanist?" Yeah. I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. Um, and so like that adds a whole other concept because you know he is the so the. If, if you want, if you want to really play around with what's happening here, he is the righteous character in the movie, right? Um, so, like, I mean, when you when you see him, probably the best, probably the, one of the best scenes Matt Reeves has ever done is when he's, you know, he's seen the caretaker, uh, or you know, uh, throws himself from the window, and he walks out, and there's this Reagan speech playing. And, of course, it's 83, so Reagan, of course, is very much, uh, you know, really hyping up conservative Christianity. And he's talking about Alexis de Tocqueville and, you know, how uh, the reason Alexis de Tocqueville knew that America was going to be good was because of the righteousness that was coming from their pulpits uh, and stuff like that. And so there's this really, really early on, you get this this concept of, like, you know, he's the righteous character. And, you know, and I mean, and, and in fairness, as, as he's, portrayed he's portrayed as a pretty upstanding guy as far as we know we don't really know much about him but everything he does you know seems to be upstanding you know he's, he's trying to figure things out uh you know he seems to care for people that kind of thing um but like he's he's the he's the opposite end you know like he's the one that uh you know um that owen has several opportunities to go and you know give information to and he doesn't do it. And so I, I do think there's a sense that Reeves is, is kind of playing with that a little bit with this character um, and, and adding that. Like I said, that character is not, that character's there, but it, it, the prominence of that character is not important and let the right one in. Um, but so I do think Reeves is kind of adding that as like this, you know, this point of, of reference for Owen being pulled in two different directions. Um, because that, that point of reference is definitely not off his parents, and it's definitely not off anyone at the school. Um, so, you know, that's the character that does that. And, of course, you know, he he makes a pretty... I'm not, I'm not sure Owen could have done anything to stop Abby. I'm just saying he does make a pretty, uh, pretty drastic choice there, you know, towards the end. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I, I like the character uh, quite a bit for what it functions in this movie as. Uh, but... Uh, uh, I'm not totally sure. I, I'm not totally sure it's uh, it was overtly necessary to tell the story, but I do think it does add an interesting element to it. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm glad you brought up uh, the part about um, the time uh, within its um, setting. Um, I've, I've talked about it before on the show. Um, I find on the period of like on the mid 70s into like the late 80s um the whole satanic panic era of america um i find that just like a really interesting time period um just in terms of like um, the culture of america to see just kind of the mass hysteria um, that was going on on like a bunch of like a, a very unfounded claims um on the various um satanic activity and things like that that like we look back on now and we're just like oh well that was wild that was a bunch of like silly older 
people who got tricked. But like, um, if you spend some time investigating that time period, um, you see that it did like a whole lot of long lasting damage and a whole lot of things that were discussed and and f fixated on back then um, still persist into this day in a lot of ways. Um, so yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, I love, so everybody, <laughs> it's kind of a thing uh, with horror films where everybody is just kind of like, uh, well, I like to like uh, watch them and see just like what kind of um, stupid choices and decisions um, the characters make, right? And um, um, and I understand that if they got overblown to to a certain point to just exclusively associate that with horror films, I think there are a lot of characters who make a lot of idiotic um, choices in every genre of storytelling, um, and I think that's where a lot of conflicts come from. But I do have a similar game I like to play uh, whenever I watch horror films where um, I like to see when it's going to happen because without fail, it almost always happens. Um, not so much a person makes a really bad choice or decision, but somebody is really bad at their job. And that happens twice in this film, in my opinion. Um, it happens with the nurse where the nurse is talking to this obviously troubled Little girl um, who's asking about um, her husband, or, or I'm sorry, her father, who is, um, who to her knowledge is being accused of like being a satanic cultist who killed a bunch of people. Um, and Abby asks her like where her dad is, and the nurse is very readily just like, well, he's on the 10th floor, sweetie, but you aren't allowed to go up there. And it's just like, why would you, <laughs> why would you even offer the information? What are you doing? But um, the other um, instance of that, which is related to what you bring up, Josh, about the, de um, about the detective, is that when Abby attacks the lady at the apartment complex, um, and then um, the scene at the hospital the day after, when the policeman is talking to um, her boyfriend or fiance or husband or whoever that is um he asks the policeman uh, do you have any idea what this is all about or anything like that and the policeman readily offers him the information of i don't know i'm trying to see if there's any connection between this and this like um run of like serial ritualistic murders that are happening in the city yeah. And I'm just like, why would you tell him that? Who is this guy? Why would you tell him that? <laughs> I mean, that's sure, ridiculous. Yeah. That's that's how the satanic panic really spread. Is his police officers would find a dead body and just be like, I bet you a satanist did this. I'm gonna go tell everybody at the diner. Yeah, that that's how it spread. And that's how that worked. But um, I did enjoy those scenes. But um, yeah, it's interesting. A policeman. He is set up as a character early on who's really invested in this case, who seems very devoted to his job, and he seems like the kind of person who, like, he's going to crack it. He's going to figure out what's going on. Um, and it's interesting that he never really does. Um, he gets close. He gets to the right place as far as the apartment he goes back to, uh, which is where Abby and, like, her caretaker used to live. But... 
He doesn't really know what's going on. And to be fair, you know, in that situation, I would not have jumped to there's a bunch of vampires. But, like, um, it is interesting that uh, Reeves has set up this character to be, like, um, the good cop who's devoted to figuring out what's going on, who's going to stop these killings, who's going to save innocent people. And what eventually gets him killed in the film is that he thinks he has found um, an innocent victim again. I mean, he goes in, he finds that he finds Abby like buried under these rough spun like sheets and blankets in the bathtub. Um, if I were to find that scene, I would assume, oh, oh my God, this child is probably a victim of some kind of either abuse or neglect. Like she, he needs help. She's obviously a victim in this scenario. Um, and then uh, we see that his assumption that she's innocent and that she's somebody who needs his help is um, is what kind of leads him to drop his guard a little bit, and um, he gets surprised by Owen being there, and then he gets attacked, and then he gets killed. Um, so I think that was kind of an interesting arc to kind of tell with that character. Uh, and I also think it was very intentional that what ends up happening to his body after Abby is um, is done with him um, is that they end up putting his body into the wall of that place. I assume it's like um, a c- c- common area, like basement mm-hmm. or something in the apartment complex. Um, but Owen has talked about that, like that is one of the places where like he's he's felt happy. He had a friend there. He felt safe. He felt like that was like his own space he could rely on and um even in the end for owen that place even kind of gets tainted and twisted by his relationship with abby because you know they have to drag a body there um and hide the evidence of what um abby did and what owen um kind of passively condoned by um closing the door and not Telling anybody or trying to help or anything like that. So I thought that was um, a really interesting aspect of the storytelling as well. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. Um, now, hey everybody, um, if you're interested, if you enjoy us uh, talking about um, these various um, threads and interesting little d- d- details of storytelling, um, then. If you want to explore um, some more topics and avenues we go down, uh, then you can check out a bunch of other other shows um, here on Fandom Talk, the Fandom Correspondence. Uh, we have shows about um, comic, book of, comic book events that are going on. We have um, shows where we talk about just kind of ongoing events and fandom and things we're into. And coming up in a couple of months at the time of this recording, uh, we have a brand new event I do um, with our Fandom Correspondent, um, any where we talk about um, various holiday films um, in a s- s- similar yet very unique vein as to horror fest. <laughs> um, so have your ear- uh, have your ears out for that as well. But um, if you're interested in what we do, uh, then you can follow us on Spotify and iTunes. Um, you can follow us on Instagram. We post all of our updated uh, content releases there. Um, and yeah. If you're very invested in us, then um, you can even hop over to, um, to patreon.com slash fandom correspondence. 
um, drop a dollar in our in our hat, if you will. Um, and if you do, then you can um, have your own say in anything that we do an episode on um, or talk about during the course of an of an episode or whatever you have your heart um, invested in. Um, so if you enjoy our stuff, then be sure to hang out with us, and we appreciate it. Um, now, as we're closing down here, um, Josh, this film has an interesting ending, and it had been a while since I watched this one. It had, and as I've said, it's it's been an even longer amount of time since I watched um, the original film. Um, that when I was watching this one uh, this time, I was kind of surprised, and. Uh, just by the fact that, like, I don't recall it ending the way it does in this one. <laughs> in this one, for some reason, I don't recall it. For some reason, in my mind, I had thought that, like, it ends with Owen and Abby just kind of like in the apartment complex, and then like it fades to black, and that's the film. But um, Josh, how do you feel about this ending? Because in years past, we have talked about the importance of the ending of horror films and um, how the endings often are a deciding factor and how we feel about them, and what we understand as the takeaways from the stories, and things like that. So how did you feel about the ending of this one? One of my favorite um, endings in any movie ever is The Graduate. I don't know if you're how familiar with that movie, Al. Uh, if you haven't seen The Graduate, you should see The Graduate. It's Dustin Hoffman. Uh, you know, kind of the movie that made him. Um, and the ending of that movie is basically he ends up running off with uh, this girl that he had simultaneously been dating while he's dating her mother. It's a it's a messed up movie, guys. Uh, but he ends up running off with this girl, and there's this moment, and you know, like, you know, they're really they're very like, uh, you know, there's like this moment where they get they run off uh, at she's still in her wedding dress. They get on this bus, and like, you know. He, you know, there's like, they're happy, they're, you know, they're ecstatic about the choice they made. And then the camera pans on them for literally 10 seconds too long. And you just see their faces just drop almost with the realization of what they've done. And, and about, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like, and it's, it's a, it's interesting because like, I love Five Days of Summer. I know we're going off, but Five Days of Summer, like the, the entire character of, of Just Gordon Levitt there is like, you know, uh, they base it off of a complete misunderstanding of the ending of the graduate, you know, uh, because, and, and I bring a movie up because me and my mother had argued about the ending of that movie because I saw it as, you know, mom saw it as these two young kids are getting away from the issues that are holding them down, uh, that have held down, you know, everyone from that baby generation, uh, that kind of hippie generation, and they're moving on from it. And I saw it as these two kids are going off into the world and don't know what in the world they're doing with themselves. I would be, um, I bet if you had 10 people watch the ending of this movie, you would have five people go one way and five people go another. I bet five people would go, oh, it's really good. You know, um, you know, they've, they're friends. You know, this this boy who's had no one for so long uh, finally has someone that, you know, he can travel through life with. 
uh, you know, and like, and, and they do the they do the Morse code thing, you know, at the end. It's really adorable. And he eats his now and laters. And you'd have five more people that would go. So he's going to spend the rest of his life murdering people so that Abby can feed and survive. Uh, is, is, you know, I mean, I get, it's, it's kind of the takeaway. You know, I thought this movie did a very good job of splitting that right down the middle. Um, because, like, I mean, the thing is, is like, it, it does, and, and Let the Right One In does the same thing. You know, it, it plays with you because the scene prior to this is when, in my opinion, you know, uh, other than Abby, the most evil people in the entire movie get what's coming to them. Uh, we could we could argue whether or not twelve year olds need to get what's coming to them. Uh, I don't want to get into that. But in, in the in the in the framework of this story, in the framework of this story, all those kids finally get what's coming to them um, because they're they're evil and horrible and just you know and uh, then they just get ripped apart. And so like the movie plays with you in that you're like oh, okay you know you know here's the savior you know you know she's you know she's the she's the good guy of this film you know. And then, of course, the very next scene is they're going off together. And the only thing, the, if, if, you, if, if you know how the movie has worked and you, you understand how Abby has worked with her previous caretakers, the only thing you can take away from that is Owen's about to become a murderer, you know? And yet it's framed as this very nice, you know... I mean, the sun's even coming in through the windows, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and on a, in a movie where everything has been dreary the entire time, right? Like, it's been overcast and dreary... In like the ugliest winter you've ever seen, um, you know, just like everything's dark and dreary. And then like when they're when they're leaving, the sun is coming through the windows. He's he's eating his now and later's, singing the the horrible now and later song that I had literally put out of my head for years, uh, but now of course is back and stuck in my head again. But um, you know, he's he's singing that song and like it's a very fairy tale ending about a guy who's about to become a murderer for a vampire, you know? I think it's genius. I mean, I think, I, I think it was the perfect way to end the movie. Um, and, and because it does have this very ambiguous kind of ending to it, um, but, but what's ambiguous about it is not ambiguous about what's about to happen. The ambiguity becomes on how you feel about it because that, that's the genius part of it. You know what's going to happen, you know, but the movie has framed this in such a way where you are almost, without a shadow of a doubt, uh, forced to root for Owen and Abby. Um, and what you know, and so like it, that's interesting to me. I like movies that um, force me to think about things. Not, not only not only force me to think about the movie, but actually force me to think like, why do I think this? You know, why am I, why am I totally okay, you know, with three presumably 12 to 14 year olds just getting ripped apart, you know, uh, and, and, and Owen leaving and becoming, you know, and, and yes, he has a partner, uh, to go through life with, but that partner is one that's going to basically demand that he murder people. You know, am am I okay with that ending? You know, and that, that to me, that's the strength of a good movie right there. If, If they can force you not only to think something, but actually ask a question of like, why are you thinking that? Uh, I think I think there, there's a, there's a real strength there, um, you know. And so no, I really I love the ending. Uh, the ending is is near perfect to me. I will say, what this is the I promise this is the last time I'm I'm going to compare the two. 
the ending of Let the Right One In, I give just a slight, a slight edge to, if for no other reason than when I, I'll never forget, I was in, I was in Campbellsville, Kentucky when I first saw this movie. And I went and rented this movie at a, at a movie place uh, back when those still existed. Al, do you remember, do you remember movie rental places? Do you remember those? Where they from? They, they it's were, like a, you know, I and feel I like in, the dream that Dorothy had in The Wizard of Oz. Right, exactly. Except I'm, point, except I'm pointing at Blockbuster and Family Video, and I'm just like, you were there, and you were there. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Well, it, what's great is, this was a, this wasn't a, fa- I can't remember what this was called. It's not, it, it wasn't a chain. It was literally just somebody owned a, a movie, uh, a movie rental place. Sure. And I, I remember IGN. Uh, had had said Let the Right One In was one of their favorite movies of the year. And I remember going to this movie rental place, it's kind of going around, goes, oh, cool, that, that movie's there. you know. And I was like, I'm going to rent this. I had no clue at any point what I was getting myself into. And I'll never forget, at the end of that movie, he's being held underwater, and all of a sudden, you just see body parts start to fall into the pool. You're seeing it from the pool, like and, like you see him, and then you see that head just kind of flow down. And I do think Matt Reeves got a little too into his own uh, into his own ability to wield a camera, which in fairness he's fantastic at. But I do think he got a little into his own ability to wreck because I think the idea of just seeing that head just coming straight at you wasn't as good as just like just the seeing these these body parts. Because like I, I'll never forget, I, I had a visceral reaction that like I, I like kind of jumped out of my seat like. Oh, oh! This is where we're going with this, you know. <laughs> um, you know, because I did not expect any movie to have the guts to pull that off, um, and they did. And then, you know, and and, and you know, it's it. Yeah, just so I, I do. I give a slight edge there, but both endings, uh, both of them get the point across. And uh, and uh, and the point, of course, is that is the idea of you know. Yeah, well, fairy tale ending. You know, if if you're okay with you know rampant amounts of murder across the country, you know, uh, you know, but it, yeah, fairy tale ending. If you're okay with that, yeah, yeah, it's really, um, it's really well done. I mean, when I think of um, I, I think of the ending in two parts, um, and both of which you've um, talked about a bit, uh, because I think about the ending in uh, the scene at the pool. And I think about the ending in terms of uh, when they're on the train. Uh, and I think a really interesting t- t- detail, which I did not recall from the last time I watched this, um, which is unsurprising because I didn't actually recall how the film actually ended since the last time I watched this. But um, a really interesting <laughs> detail that stuck out to me is when Abby shows up in the pool... <laughs> and starts to kill all these kids um, and things like that. Um, It's the first time, it's the only time in the film, as far as I'm aware of, that we see Abby kill without seeing her feed. Right. And, um, And I think that that little detail of that scene goes a long way towards how I took the actual ending scene on the train, right? Because this whole idea, um, this whole, any pro-Abby idea you have throughout this film is based upon this idea that she is a little girl who got turned into a vampire 
um, <laughs> presumably against her will. I think that's fair to say um, that she is a little girl who got turned into a vampire, and she is either killing people or have other people kill them for her so that she can eat and survive, right? That's what the that's what any pro Abby takeaway from this film is. Uh, that's what it rests on, is that she's just doing what she has to in order to survive. And we've seen that because in the scene where they're in um, the basement for the first time, and Owen, like, um, he cuts his thumb, which I don't understand where, I don't understand why that always has to happen in films, but, like, these kids these days are just obsessed with, like, cutting their hands and doing blood packs for some reason. It's weird. Um, but yeah. um, he cuts his thumb, and we see Abby, like, sink down to the floor, and she begins to turn and transform. And um, that kind of goes towards saying, oh, okay, if there's, like, blood in the equation, then, like, she goes vampire mode, and she has to feed. That's, like, I guess that's this version's lore of, like, the vampire hunger. And then at the pool scene, we see her uh, just tear these kids apart and she does not feed. And it's the first time, and I think it's very intentional, that Reeves shows that Abby is very much capable of violence and bloodshed outside of what she needs to continue her life. Um and I think that's really intentional because I think that very much ends itself to a very, um, a very depressing interpretation of of the train scene, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Because as you said, like, yeah, Owen, he's getting he's getting away from all his problems and stuff. He's getting away from his very dysfunctional family and these kids and teachers at school who don't care about him, even though. I feel like the coach was, like, a good guy. I think he was getting there. I think he, I think if anything, the coach of that school was a victim of just, like, how schools are run. Where, like, the ratio of kids to adults is, like, way too big. But, right. <laughs> because that coach was trying to do everything he could. Um, there was just a lot going on in every class. But, um... Um, and, you know, Owen is getting away from his dysfunctional family and the kids and, and teachers in his life who don't care about him. And he's getting away and he's got his friend, Abby, and they're going to go live life. Um, and then, like, and then you're just like, yeah, he's going to go and, like, he's going to become, like, a serial killer. Um, and he's going to go and he's going to kill a whole bunch of people. And... Now we have the new information that Abby is very much in control of her bloodlust and that she is actually very much uh, capable of doing harm outside of her own survival needs. Uh, and so I think the pairing of those two scenes was really, really good. It helped kind of inform each other. But, um, right. but yeah, I think it was handled very well. Um, I'm with you. I was very much of the opinion of just like, oh, wow, this ends a lot darker than I recall it. Uh, just because, yeah, you're faced with the realization that, like, Owen is going to go and live his life with his friend Abby, and he's going to turn into a 
hero killer and kill a whole bunch of innocent people. Right, exactly. That's that's what that's what he's going to do. Um, I mean, this thing like you know, this is. I mean, this this you know the, this movie. That's what I'm talking about with the, with the manipulations. 1983. You know, there are there are a lot of ways to sate Abby, right? At this point, I mean, like you know, there's. There's blood banks, you know, there's there's plasma banks, you know, I mean, there's there's a lot of things you can pull off here, oh, yeah. uh, but there's you something sure. about, you know, you know, there's there's something about, uh, you know, the the need here to kill people and things like that. It's 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 different. You know, it just, you know, uh, it, it seems it seems very much in, in line with the idea of a vampire dominating someone, but just in a different way. Um, so yeah, no, I, I don't, I don't see, you know, uh, I, I, I'm not, I'm not tricked into seeing this as a very happy ending. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. And, um, in about, in about 10 years time from that point, um, a little show called Buffy the Vampire Slayer is going to introduce, um, Angel as a character. And how Angel goes about getting his blood is going to like just shatter the paradigm of Owen and Abby. And right, like, exactly. Oh, wow. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. There's places you can just go and there's blood there. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Uh, but um, no, no, um, it's very well done. Um, it is a very um, dark ending. But um, I think that's on the main element, you know, to kind of wrap everything up, I think that's the main element of this film that kind of d- does kind of lead me to go ahead and give the nod of acknowledging it as a horror film. Because I think the horror in it, the, f- the fear that infuses the story is that uh, we see Owen go from a very troubled very alone and isolated kid and be shaped and manipulated into turning into this very dark, harmful individual. And seeing um, the evolution of that character uh, um, is really what kind of takes the cut as far as what um, is a horror film and what is not. So I thought that was really cool and interesting. Um, but yeah, I do. It's, yeah, it's really interesting. At the beginning of this episode, Josh, you brought up, um, a comparison to Midsummer, and I kind of feel the same way about Owen's character at the end of this film as I do about, um, Lawrence Pugh's character at the end of Midsummer, where, like, there's plenty of people who are just like, oh, well, good for them. They found a new life. They found a new way to live, and they've escaped all of like the bad parts of their own lives and stuff. And I'm just kind of like, oh, look at what they traded it for. I mean, like, you have to argue pretty hardcore with me to, to get me to a place where I could even think of uh, of Orange Pugh's character's ending in a Midsummer being desirable and preferable in any way because all she has done is trade abusers and manipulators. That's all she's done. And I think that kind of idea 
can be applied to fit me in as well with Owen. Because at the end of the day, all Owen's really done is switch out the people who abuse and manipulate him. Um, and so, um, yeah, yeah, it's a very um, darker ending for sure. But um, um, as we close, I did think this was kind of a fun question to close it on because this is the first vampire film that we're handling on Horror Fest. Um, and there's not a whole lot of vampire films. I'd, I'm going to be honest, there's not a whole lot of ones I'd really be interested in handling in Horror Fest. If there's a couple, I might be persuaded to do. But um, I do want to kind of close this with a question, a vampiric question, if you will. Josh, what is your favorite iteration of vampire? Is it like classic kind of the Bram's Stoker Dracula? Is it um, a more modern take? Is it like the ancient world, like weird humanoid winged thing with a big mouth? Like what's your, what's your preferred iteration of vampires? My, my, favorite, my favorite vampire lore uh, is in the Witcher books, um, which Ooh, yeah. uh, is very, very, and I don't know if you're quite there, Al, are you, cause I know you're reading them. Are you, have you run into them yet? Not yet. Um, okay. based on what I know about the games, I know that I'm about to, I'm, yeah, I'm very close to. Okay. So like, of course in the, in the games, there's like, there's a, and what well, in the books too. Um, but like in the, you have like elder vampires and you know, they're, um, you know they're they're so scary because they there's a sense of like they're so scary because not only because of how powerful they are but also because of how they've managed to exist this way amongst people for so long without being hunted down and killed, which means you're dealing with someone very not 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 just a vampire that's powerful but also one that's very intelligent and I like that concept uh, you know of like. It's not just so much of like you grow more powerful, you also grow more wise, and that makes you scary. Um, it's one of the things like, like I look, I, I, I guess it's hard to talk about vampires without crapping on the Twilight series for a bit. But that's one of the things I really, really did not like about the Twilight series was like that I can't remember which movie it is either the second or the third one, but it's like well they're new vampires, so you know they're they're even more powerful because you know they don't even know what to do with their powers. You know, I was like that makes no sense whatsoever, guys. Like, <laughs> not in the least bit. Um, you know, but, but uh, in, in the, the Witcher, the, their version of that is really, uh, really interesting. But I, listen, I don't, I, I, I still wouldn't talk about this movie more, but no joke, my favorite vampire movie is Let the Right One In. It is, it is my favorite vampire movie because the, the concepts of what a vampire are supposed to be are all there just turned on their head. You know, whether it's like sexualization, well, that's turned on its head in the fact that it's like a it's a it's a childhood crush. Whether it's domination, well, that's turned on the head in the fact that it's more manipulation than domination. You know, uh, it just so the, the it, it played with the vampire lore in so many fun and different ways. It, it's, it's it is it's my favorite vampire movie of all time. I will say I do like uh, just for fun, although it. it it, I'm, I'm not going to be one of those guys to be like, oh, they never got better than the silent films. But if you haven't seen the old Nosferatu, you should check it out at some point. Um, because the, particularly the scene when he rises out of the coffin, um, which is still pretty effective today, just the idea of the history of that scene and the fact that people were literally leaving the theater, rushing out because they thought that scene was so scary that they literally thought that thing was coming out of the, 
out of the screen to come and get them. Um, you know, uh, I just, I, I love stories like that. And, uh, so that movie, uh, if you're looking for a vampire su- su- suggestions, uh, the old Nosferatu, although definitely very much not in the sexy version of vampires, but, uh, unless <laughs> you know, or, or maybe, I don't know. I, I'm not, I'm not going to shame anybody for their, for their opinions, but, uh, that I really do like that version as well. But, but, but if you, if you wake up in the middle of the night and ask me, I'm going to say the Witcher. Cause I just, I really like without going too much into it. Just the lore of, like, there's entire families. It, they almost felt, Al, you're going to get it. They almost, there's, there's a framing of it that's almost like the mafia a little bit. It's really interesting how they do it. So uh, uh, I'll, I'll be intrigued to see when you get there what you think of it, uh, particularly one character in particular uh, who I really love. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, that's probably my favorite. I got you. I got you. You know, no, that's a good choice. It's a good, good choice for sure because it also – you know, uh, there's that. also a lot of room for like the types of vampires um, as well, because I know, um, like, for example, in The Witcher Three, you have like a bestiary, um, essentially, of all of like um, the magical creatures and, and monsters and stuff. And there's like eighteen pages worth on like the various kinds of vampires in there. So, right. Uh, uh, I think that that's cool as well. But uh, you know, it's fun, Al. Though, no, no joke. I, 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 I'm gonna be that guy real quick. The Dawn Guard series in Skyrim oh, had a yeah. on vampires. I thought that was really interesting with that bow and everything. That you know they 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 were always scared of this bow that you could shoot into the sky and cause this like you know this like uh, I guess like solar <laughs> like you know, solar flare kind of thing that could kill so many vampires. I, I love that. I thought that was really I thought that was really neat. Uh, but uh, but yeah. Yeah, sorry, I just bring that up. I, that, I, that one just came to mind. No, no, no. Oh, yeah, that's a good choice as well. Um, yeah, I love... Um, I think people will probably think I'm, like, joking about this, but I'm straight up. I love the depiction of vampires in Huffy the Vampire Slayer because, like, um, it kind of goes into what you were talking about um, a little bit with vampires... Um, in the Witcher series, um, because in that, like, you see um, a whole bunch of vampires in that show, like, at Aced all the time, and that kind of leads you to think that, like, vampires, like, overall aren't that impressive, um, because you see the Slayer kill, like, thousands of them over the course of the show. But um, as you get into it, and as you get into the lore of that show, uh, you find out that, like, there are various um, basically strength tiers or power tiers of vampires. Um, and there's like basically like a trickle down kind of like um, line of superiority um, of different kinds of vampires and what they're able to do and what they specialize in and things like that. Um, and I think that's really interesting. Um, as an example there, I mean, um, by the time you meet um, Spike, who's a vampire um, in um, in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, um, he looks like totally idle, and it's great. Um, right. By the time you meet Spike um, in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you've seen like a few d- different kinds of vampires, and a few of them have like their own strengths. Some are really good at like. Um, s- 
sniffing out certain kinds of like other types of monsters are really good at tracking humans and some are like um, a lot more fast while others are a lot more strong and you get introduced to spike and you find out that spike's whole thing his special vampire trait is that he's really good at killing vampire slayers and that's like his whole thing is that he's killed like three slayers over the course of his life um and so like he's introduced as this threat when he's introduced in the show because he's like he's the one he's the vampire you call if you have a slayer in town and i thought that was a really really cool kind of way to um um, to build up that vampire war um and kind of add a little something extra to it but um yeah um josh thank you for uh Thank you very much for joining me on this special tribute memorial episode to the ghosts of Nathan Lewis. Um, <laughs> rest in peace, um, our very good friend. Um, it's almost as if I can still feel his texts um, exactly. through my phone. Right. Think that he's not dead. Um, but, you know, that's just grief. That's how that works. Um, but, um, this has been a blast. This was a really good pick. Um, as I said, we have a couple of other picks from him as well that we're kind of, um, having in the bank, uh, for future seasons of Horror Fest. But, um, y'all, if you've hung out with us, um, up to the end of this episode and at all throughout this event, um, this year, Josh and I really enjoy Horror Fest every year. Um, um, it's one of our favorite things that we do here at Fandom Correspondence. Uh, we just uh, really thank you all and appreciate you so much that like you hang out with us and, and spend time hearing us talk about um, various vampire iterations and, and what old slasher films mean in the modern sense and <laughs> just all of the nonsense we talk about on this show. Uh, we really appreciate it. So um, I will close with saying thank you again. I'm uh, saying that that fandom is for everyone. And I'm encouraging you to be very safe, both this Halloween season and the oncoming holiday season as well. And thank you very much for your time and support.